Hi guys, this is Gabrielle Mandel of Super Endura and welcome to Creative Conversations. I started my brand four years ago and in that time I've had the pleasure of meeting and working with so many other creative entrepreneurs. I created this podcast to give them the space to tell their story and both celebrate the successes but also talk about the difficulties. These conversations have inspired me deeply and I hope they will also motivate you and invigorate you on your own creative path. Hi, friends, and welcome to episode three of our podcast. I just want to say that I'm so happy that we've made it this far. At the beginning of this year, I thought to myself, I really want to make a podcast. But the truth was, I knew nothing about making a podcast. So with the help of YouTube and lots of really great, helpful friends um, and a lot of great collaboration, We've made it this far, and I'm so happy to be here now where you can look up this episode, hopefully on iTunes or Stitcher, or listen to it on my website. Um, So I've worked in design for a number of years, and that's kind of its own fun, creative thing that's really, you know, invigorating to me. But doing something new, like starting a podcast is incredibly humbling, but it's also very creative in a totally new way because I just feel like you're using a different part of your brain. You're, you know, I'm working in sound. I'm working in a very different uh, kind of creative medium. And there's definitely been like a few hiccups along the way. And I definitely would say it's still a work in progress, but I just want to celebrate getting this far. And I hope that everyone can sort of do that in their own creative work where, you know, you get to a certain milestone and you're like, all right, like we've made it this far, like kudos to us. But I just want to say it's been a magical process. You know, I get to sit down with people I admire and I just listen to them tell their stories in their own words. And it's a casual conversation and I'm sure I interject a lot, but I just love hearing kind of where they started, um, how they kind of evolved and grew and where they are now and where they want to be and like the times along the way when things were hard, the times that they had to figure things out. I feel like we finished recording each episode and me and my guests are just like, whoa, that was amazing. And it's really cathartic. And being the interviewer, I just leave every episode just being feeling immense joy for whoever it is I'm interviewing because I feel like it's so great to hear about their story. And then along the way, just listening to them helps me figure out things for my own creative practice. I think each episode, there's just these great nuggets of advice, or you get to hear an example of how someone figured something out. And I just love that. And I'm hoping that, you know, you love that as well. And that the kind of magic that happens when we record translates to what you guys are hearing right now. All right, without further ado, let's get to the episode. So I'm very excited. We have Alana Oates of Lonnie's Shoes on. Now, I remember first seeing Lonnie's Shoes in a couple of markets around Philly, and I just remember thinking about how special these shoes were. 
whether they had like intricate hand beading or they were done in like a spotted hair calf or even in these just beautiful vintage fabrics. Um, So sitting down to chat with Alana was incredibly inspiring. Every now and then I just come across someone who's still just so enthusiastic and kind of dazzled by the craft of it and just making products. And that's always fun because you feel like you just, you know, get to be in the presence of someone who just really enjoys figuring things out and just crafting really great product. Um, So this came through 100% with Alana, and I'm sure you'll be able to tell when you listen. And it was just great to hear about how she built her brand, just starting with an idea, launching a Kickstarter, and then really growing a company from there that sells to different retailers. Um, And each season, she's working on new styles and trying new silhouettes. And it was incredibly inspiring. So without further ado, here is the episode. So my childhood was interesting. I grew up um, in the Philadelphia suburbs. Um, I'm an only child. So I was like, very into being kind of the center of attention from a very small age. And you know, I hung out with my parents a lot. Yeah, and did a I lot also of- feel like only children are always like, oh, yeah, like yeah. I'm an adult. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I was like a mini adult. Yeah. Um, you know, I would go to like fine dinners with them and Ooh. get dressed up with my mom mm-hmm. and wear little fur coats and things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to be an actress, actually. Oh, cool. But I always said that I wanted to be an actress who designed her own clothes. So uh-huh. I kind of had the the fashion the bug. Angling, yeah. yeah, from a young age. Um, my mom was always very into, like, fashion and design. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother, actually, along with her two sisters, owned a flea market Oh, cool. Where there was like a vintage vendor ah. and we would just go crazy like shopping her her mm-hmm. um, amazing vintage things. That's, so That sounds awesome. I actually had a grandma who was like very into fashion and I feel like that's kind of where I got it from because my Absolutely. mom is like, it, you know, is a good dresser but has never been like super into fashion and I feel like my grandmother is just just like an avid fashion person like multiple fur coats yeah. like she and she again has kind of like the belt that matches her scrunchie yes. like loves leopard That's incredible. like is in a nursing home but like still like gets her nails done. oh yeah like, she's just just still fabulous what else is there to do in yeah. a nursing home no like, totally she's, every day. she's very up like she, i will go see her and she has her like lipstick on and she's like oh that's amazing yeah she's she's still showing up That's great. Yeah. Okay. So you were already kind of like interested in fashion. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and then you decided to go to design school. Yeah. So actually when I was in high school, I just said I wasn't going to college because I, I really didn't know until like my sophomore, junior year of high school that I could go to school for art. I just thought I had to go to regular college like everyone else, and it just didn't seem appealing to me. Mm -hmm. So I guess midway through my junior year, I found out about young artist workshop classes at Moore. Oh, cool. So I started taking those on weekends Uh um, when I was still in high school, and that kind of prepared me to like get my portfolio together. Yeah. And uh, I got early accepted to Moore, the only school that I applied to. That's so exciting. (laughs) Thank God I got in. Um, and it was perfect. I didn't want to be, you know, too far away from home. Mm-hmm. I thought about New York, but mm-hmm. at the time it just seemed a little bit too like mm-hmm. pretentious. Moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
so I found more to be like the perfect fit for me. Yeah. And more has such a great program. It's funny because we kind of grew up in similar areas outside of Philadelphia and I also took those classes. Did you? Yeah. Were they I, the best? They were. It's so funny. I took a portfolio prep class because yeah. I was kind of the same way where I really wanted to be like a movie director when I was young. And then eventually, like my sophomore year, I'm like, oh, I want to go to fashion school. And I started visiting these schools and they're like, uh, most of the people who get into our program have been doing art all their life yeah. and are great drawlers <laughs> and are great designers. And I'm just like, oh my God, like I haven't been doing this at all. So I literally like senior year, like doubled down on like yeah. every art class I could Where take. Where did you end up going to school? I went to Syracuse. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I really wanted to go to a program that was both had like a good fashion program. And then at the time I was like, also like, oh, I really want to do journalism, which I think like. In hindsight, I feel like I'm like acting out now within yeah, this podcast. Yeah, the podcast, absolutely. Um, and I think like when I think about it holistically, like and even wanting to be a movie director, like I'm always just very interested in the story. And yeah. like I think like doing this podcast, I've met so many cool people, yourself included, within the community. And I'm just like, you all have like such great stories and such great like nuggets of yes. like good like either it's inspiration or advice. And I just wanted to like, you know, help that get around and share that. That's so amazing. yeah. So this podcast has been like everything kind of like yeah, coming together. I'm glad you can like live out your dreams. Yeah. And incredible. like, I love talking about fashion and fashion business and creative business like all day. So mm -hmm. it's like just fun to like have people on and just like geek out and like analyze the details. And just, I'm just like, yes, this is great. For sure. Yeah. Okay, enough about me. Let's get back to you. Okay, so you got into more, which is a fabulous program. Um, and what was your time like there? Um, it was great. You know, more is an all women's school. Mm -hmm. um, it always has been and mm -hmm. still is. And I thought that was really interesting because it really brought everyone together. Like there's like an incredible mm. sisterhood. That's so cool. So, you know, you're like studying with these women. I don't know about you, but mm -hmm. our classes were, we had six hour studio classes. Mm -hmm. So your classes are long. Even yeah. like your liberal arts classes are three hours. Yeah. Like you have long classes and long days. And then you have so many hours spent in the studio afterwards. Right. You, you just like live in the studio. Exactly. So you, I just created like such an incredible network of women there. Um, so cool. I still have three best <gasps> friends. My best friends in the world That's awesome. went to more. And now they're, you know, all over the country spread mm -hmm. out working for incredible companies. Mm -hmm. um, and they're still so inspiring to me yeah. every day. But our friendship really blossomed up more. So I was so lucky to have that. That's really great. I know. I love like seeing all my friends like climb in their career. And I'm just like, yes, this is so great. <laughs> um, um, and so... Then I know when you were there more, you uh, got an internship while you were there. So, yeah, I started um, my junior year. I started interning at Urban Inc., mm -hmm. which I hadn't previously realized that they were based in Philadelphia. Mm. Like, no one thought to mention that to me my first yeah. <laughs> two years of school. Mm -hmm. So one of the friends I was talking about, she and I, um, lived together junior year and she had already done a summer internship with I think it was free people at the mm -hmm. time 
And she just urged me, like, I think at the day we moved in together, I was listening about mm-hmm. her summer internship and how cool it was. Mm-hmm. And she was like, you need, you need to secure yourself a position there. So she helped me, like, draft an email to one oh. of the recruiters. And at the time, like, it's interesting to think back, like, the teams were so much smaller. Mm-hmm. And... Luckily, like the next day I woke up and I had an email in my inbox like, yeah, we'd love to meet you. Come in for an interview. So exciting. I I mean, it's so competitive now, but like it was just such a different time. So I actually got an internship in the tech department, which for those who don't know, that's technical design. So that's um, everyone that sets up the apparel tech packs to go off to the factories in Asia or India or wherever. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a lot of like specking garments Mm -hmm. and measuring garments Mm -hmm. and measuring fit models and fitting on fit models and lots of taking notes. And it wasn't, you know, my favorite thing to do. Uh I knew that this was just going to be a foot in the door. Um, Did you feel like you could like do it? Because I do feel like it takes... People who excel at it are very, like, technical and yeah. very, like, detail-oriented. I'm, like, not, but, like, mm-hmm. I could. Like, yeah. I could. I had to really force myself to get to into just, that. Yeah. I'm much mm-hmm. more abstract, but mm-hmm. I could, you know, sit down with the tape measure yeah. and have my music on yeah. and, like, drink five coffees and yeah, get, just into get into it. Into but it. I was much more into just being in the environment yeah. of Urban Inc. Uh-huh. I mean, it's, it's such a beautiful campus. Mm-hmm. The food's, like, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always love dogs. when I, like, see people be there for the first time and they're just like, what yeah. is this? You work here? It's like here? a playground. And you're like, yeah, it's, like, gorgeous. Exactly. So I was very into that. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, all the measuring and specking and note-taking that I had to do was just, like, a small price to pay to, like, yeah. be part of the culture, have the discount, yeah, you know? Yeah, totally. And it's also fun, like, when you – come from school and then you're in the working world and you're like, oh, these are people all around me who like care about this as much as I do. And we're like, it's really cool when you first like make something. Oh, yeah. You're just like, oh my God, like I helped that get made. Exactly. And like all I wanted, I was already over college. Like (laughs) college was fine, but I was like ready to graduate like the second I walked in the door. So Uh to just have that exposure to Mm -hmm. like actually a work environment Mm -hmm. and a professional environment, like I was – yeah, very, you're like, sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> so through that tech position, I actually met um, a group of designers and um, they were launching a brand called Leaf's Daughter. Mm-hmm. And at the time they were just kind of starting out. And I thought these girls were the coolest girls in the world. <laughs> I'm still friends with all of them and they're still very cool. But mm-hmm. I just immediately knew like, oh my gosh, like I need I to. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a yeah. part of that. So I started kind of like buttering up to them Uh and expressing that, you know, my true passion was design and Uh not tech design. Um, And that if they needed an intern, like, please let me know. So by my senior year at Moore, um, I had landed a position as the Leaf's Daughter intern. Nice. Which since it was a small brand, Mm -hmm. I kind of had to be like the jack of all trades. Mm -hmm. Um, I was just assisting everyone on that team and it was a rapidly growing team. Mm -hmm. So... That must have been really informative. It, like it's, it was. It's kind of like a startup within a giant corporation, which is kind of like amazing. Yeah, it was interesting. Like we first started out in this little corner of one of the bigger buildings mm-hmm. and we were just like a sister brand to anthropology. But through my like 
intern time there. Mm. We grew into our own building for a while. Mm. Um, yeah, it was like a brand that really blossomed. And then um, that's when I got my first exposure to shoe design. Mm. We hired, Leaf's daughter hired a shoe designer and a handbag designer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember having to stay late one night and assist the shoe designer on mm-hmm. a project. And he was working on these amazing like sculptural heels Mm. and he was working with stingray and feathers and python and at that time like I just could have cared less about apparel I Uh was like this is my this is my future like accessories accessories are my future for sure so just as I had kind of maneuvered over from tech design this Uh was now like a year and a half later Uh I decided that I just needed to like maneuver into, into shoes. shoes. That's yeah. so exciting. So what was that like learning how to design shoes and like that whole process? I was just so lucky. I had mm. an incredible mentor from the beginning who he really just took me under his wing. Mm-hmm. And I think he sensed how eager I was to learn. Mm-hmm. And this guy, I mean, he was great. He's still my mentor to this day. And he just really didn't have any of that competitive ego that you can find at a corporate company where, you know, they don't want to give responsibility to the subordinates because, yeah, totally. you know, he was so um, lenient with me and really passed me so many like big projects. That's so cool. Yeah. And he was kind of like classically trained in shoe design Mm -hmm. in Italy and like, yeah, he, he was really knowledgeable. And I think he just, really taught me everything he knew. Um, So again, it was kind of starting from scratch. You know, Mm -hmm. I had this apparel background and I had a design background, but to build a shoe, it's a three-dimensional thing, you know? Right. You really have to like envision it and like understand. And it's also, I mean, apparel is functional too, but shoes, it's like there's even, you know, there's weight put on them. Exactly. People walk and it's like... And everything's also designed around a mold called a Mm -hmm. last, which a lot of people don't realize. Mm -hmm. But just like you have a dress form when you're doing a Mm -hmm. dress or draping, you have a last that every single shoe fits onto a last Mm -hmm. that's specifically made for that pair. So to be designing over this, uh-huh. mold is like very interesting but I think it kind of helped like with my brain I can be so uh-huh. abstract I think it was kind of good for me to have to design around some Something. sort of parameters yeah that's so cool yeah um and that's like I kind of love that you were in this company and then you sort of were in one department and realized that your passion was to be in another department and like really were just like let me like make myself available and like talk to these people I think that you know, people forget that there's like such good common sense things that if you want to like change departments, it's like show the enthusiasm oh, and like help out where you can and just be like a yes person. Yeah. And you know when something's not right. Like, yeah. And I'm not one to just be, you know, stay content for a very mm-hmm. long time in a situation where I know that I, I'm not doing my best or I could do mm-hmm. something better. Like if I see a shiny little speck over there, like yeah. I'm going to go towards yeah, totally. that shiny speck. And yeah. Uh, yeah. and it's exciting to be a part of something like as it grows and you Absolutely. like get to watch that happen and be a part of it. Yeah. It was really exciting. 
Cool. Okay. So you're making these really amazing shoes um, and sort of like what happened from there? So I was working with, you know, my boss at the time who was great and I was learning a lot about shoes and then he ended up moving on. Mm -hmm. So I was working very closely with the handbag designers, um, but I really kind of was able to grow into Mm -hmm. the shoe position. So I was reporting directly to the creative director. Mm -hmm who was so amazing Mm -hmm. and just really inspired me. And again, I was kind of able able to pave my way. So Mm -hmm. I remember there was one program in particular. um, It was Holiday Slippers. Mm -hmm. And up until when my boss was leaving, they were being made in China. Mm -hmm. And we were making these holiday slippers in fake fur out Mm -hmm. of acrylic materials and a Mm -hmm. TPR sole, which is basically Mm -hmm. a rubber sole. Mm -hmm. And I just knew that they could be better. So Mm -hmm. when he left, I inherited the project. Mm -hmm. And I said, I marched into the creative director's office Mm -hmm. and I was like, listen, I I can do better than this. Mm -hmm. These need to, we need to move the whole program to India. Mm -hmm. I need to go to India. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) I need to make sure it gets done right. I think we need to do real shearling. I think we need to do real leather and real suede. And I think they need to be embellished. Mm. If these are, you know, holiday gifting items, we need to put our best foot forward Mm -hmm. and we need to make this program something that people are really proud to give as a gift. Mm -hmm. And luckily she agreed with me. Uh (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it took a little bit, of a fight. I think we definitely had more than one conversation about it, but yeah. I ended up in India That's so with cool. all the resources that I needed to create to make this, this program. Great thing. Yeah. And from there, like, you know, it ended up being a really successful program yeah. and still they, they keep the, the slipper program in India and it's still embellished and it's made from genuine materials. So, that's so great. I was really proud of that. And that's great to like stand, like when you see something and sometimes it takes courage to like stand up for yourself and be like, hey, I think this is an opportunity and then like really to like fight for that. Absolutely. Because um, I do feel like there is risk involved. It could not pan oh, out. Yeah. But luckily that, that sounds so exciting. And yeah. You're probably like helping grow the business in that way. Thank you. Yeah. I just, I also hate hearing the word no. Like when you feel inside that you know something can be done better, like you need someone to believe in it. So I was so lucky to be like, you know, surrounded by this team and to have a director that believed in me Mm -hmm. and, you know, was able to kind of like line up everything I needed to make it happen. But It was kind of, if you think back, like (laughs) seeding the early stages of what Lonnie is now. Yeah, yeah. that's actually as you were describing it. I was like, oh, that's so interesting. (laughs) Um, So what's it like to travel abroad? And I know you sort of got to do this a lot and go to different countries uh, with anthropology. But um, And I think it's actually a great experience if you can go to your factory, whether it's in the U.S. or whether it's overseas, because... You really learn so much about the manufacturing side, but sort of, um, yeah, maybe talk more of what that was like. Sure. Um, So my first time in a factory, um, I guess, yeah, was in, it was actually in Asia, Mm -hmm. um, which is a very different Mm -hmm. um, process, but... I mean, there's just so I one of my most eye opening experiences, I think, was in a fabric market Mm. Um, because, you know, as a designer, you can communicate with 
your partner's overseas and you can tell them what you want. So say you're sourcing mm-hmm. a seersucker stripe. Mm-hmm. Um, for them to send you every seersucker stripe that exists yeah, totally. in all of Asia yeah. is insane. But yeah. if you can walk into this market, mm. you can look at a wall with a million seersucker stripes and immediately pick out the ones that you like. Right. So that's kind of the way I see it is you learn so much about the different capabilities that exist in other countries. Mm-hmm. Um, some countries are better at some things, things than others, yeah. you know? So I think it's really important to understand what country you're producing in and what they excel at mm-hmm. and never try to force them to do something that right. that they can't do well. Totally. And it's like even in each country, it's like, you know, there's different factories that they're going to be great at doing this exactly. and other ones. And it's like, I think that's a big part of the design process is figuring out who is best to make this exactly. product. Like you need to lean into their capabilities mm-hmm. and what they do well. And that's something that with Lonnie, like I, we have quite a few different factories mm-hmm. um, and some are better in embellishments. Mm-hmm. Some are, have better leather options. Mm-hmm. So the embellishments go to the embellishment factory. Yeah. You know, if we're doing something that's leather based, that's going to the leather factory. Yeah, totally. I had, um, in our first collection for Lonnie, there was a velvet ribbon that I had used out of Asia a million mm-hmm. times. And I never, it never occurred to me that it might not exist in India. Yeah. You just like assume. You just assume. <laughs> and I was trying to get them to hit this standard uh-huh. and they just couldn't get it done. Yeah. We were running out of time. I ended up having to go up to New York, buy the bulk Oh, and ship it from to them. three different <gasps> trim stores. Oh, just to get the uh, total in New York, amount, just to get the bulk amount that I needed, and then ship it to them, wow. only to be sent back to me in the bulk production. And it was just, it was a silly beginner's mistake. Like mm-hmm. I should have just gone with the trim that they knew how to how to make. Yeah. So ever since then, it's been You've very learned. much like tailored to their strengths. Yeah. That sounds cool. And that's, yeah, that sounds like such great advice to think about. I know when, I feel like when you do your first like production run or first collection, there's like so many mistakes you make and there's just like almost like no way to know. Like you can educate yourself as much as you want, but there's always going to be just like mistakes that you make. Yeah. And I like now I've, I've started doing some consulting with smaller brands and time after time I say like, you really can't design until you have a factory. Yeah. And especially with shoes, so much of it depends mm-hmm. on the last that they have, the constructions that they have, the capabilities they have, what they're good at. Is it mm-hmm. going to be a factory where you're making boots? Is it going to be a factory where you're making mm-hmm. sandals? Are you making heels? Like you you have to kind of line up your, your factories first mm-hmm. and then design into their strengths instead of yeah. Starting with something on paper and shopping it around. Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel like it's like good to see like what they've designed before. And then it's like, okay, can that like eventually fit into what I design? Or like maybe this is not the best factory exactly. for me to work with. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. So then you are at Anthro and you kind of like rise through the ranks. What was that kind of like to be like, did you ended up being like a senior designer or? So I did not have the title of senior designer. But you were. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I was, um, I was a designer level or I guess the 
assistant designer level, mm-hmm. but I was reporting directly to the creative director uh. and designing <laughs> all of the shoes for Anthropology own brand. Uh-huh. Um, but it was amazing. You know, mm-hmm. I, I did get a little bit jaded about not having the title from the beginning. Yeah. But honestly, like the experience was so mm-hmm. valuable. Um, and I was traveling a ton, you know, we mm-hmm. were making like espadrilles in Spain mm-hmm. and boots out of Brazil and embellished sandals in India. That's and so cool. And yeah, that's heels so exciting in to Italy. experience like each country and what they're good at exactly. and like their culture around, you know, manufacturing. It was incredible. And it was just amazing to see all of those different capabilities and mm-hmm. the different approaches that different countries take to production. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting. But again, like I think even just the location of your factory dictates so much. Yeah, totally. I know. It's funny. Um, I do work in home textiles and sometimes like rug will be late and they'll be like, it's the rainy season. The dye, the dye has not dried yet. And we're like, <laughs> oh, okay. And then you're like, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I do work for Anther too and it's cool because – on certain techniques that we apply to our products, we literally work with like artisans in a remote village who are like hand like stitching things in their home. Exactly. So, and again, like I just think that it's so, there's so many ways of making things in each country. I think it kind of changes based on the lifestyle and like how they do things. It's the same in India. Like all of our embellishments for Lani um, are hand embroidered. Mm -hmm. And when I go to visit the factories, it's, you know, these embroidery artists and they're sitting cross-legged on the floor Mm -hmm. and they're embroidering on a loom. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's it's such an amazing, incredible art form that – could not be done in any other part of the world. Right. No, totally. Yeah, it's kind of like passed down. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, so like at the time, were you starting to think of like your own brand or were you like creating your own brand or were you still just it's like in it? It's always been like a twinkle in my eye, I yeah. think. You know, I had, I had definitely the thoughts in my uh-huh. head, but I knew that I wasn't ready yet. So um, – I was, you know, loving my position at Anthropology. honestly. I was traveling. I was very fulfilled creatively. Mm-hmm. I was working on product that I absolutely loved. Mm-hmm. Um, my now husband, then fiance, and I, or then boyfriend, and I were talking <laughs> about getting engaged, and we were buying a house. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I got this job offer from Gap Inc. to go um, out to San Francisco to relaunch the women's line for the women's shoe line for Old Navy. Mm -hmm. And at first I was like, oh my gosh, Old Navy, I'm not (laughs) going to work for that brand. I'm not going to move to San Francisco. But it ended up just being an offer that I couldn't say no to. Mm -hmm. Um, I learned so much about the Old Navy brand through the Mm -hmm. process and everyone should live in California at one point in their life. (laughs) My husband, um, again, at the time, boyfriend, not yet Mm -hmm. fiance, kind of urged me to, to take the opportunity. To take the opportunity. My mom was even like, you have to go. So yeah. we uh, signed our agreement to buy our house. And the next day I packed a suitcase for San Francisco wow. and helped him move into the house and then jumped on a plane and moved to a city where I didn't know anyone. That's so cool. And it seems like working for that brand was totally different from Anthro, but 
also you probably learned so much there too. It was so different. It was Gap Inc. was retail boot camp for me. Mm-hmm. So while I had all of the creativity at my fingertips and all of the resources at anthropology, mm-hmm. and I was constantly pushed to think outside of the box mm-hmm. and, you know, delight and surprise mm-hmm. the anthropology mm-hmm. customer. At Old Navy, it's very different. You know, you're designing democratically. You're designing mm-hmm. for um, a woman on a budget. And, you know, they also have a lot of numbers to, mm-hmm. to meet. So mm-hmm. I learned a ton just about the structure of their business mm-hmm. and um, how to make those price points sharp. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but I have so much love for the brand still. Like they during the time that they hired me, they were building a world-class design team. Mm -hmm. So they were really hiring the best of the best from all around the world. Um, Some of the other shoe designers were from Zara or Inatex. The, you know, denim designers were from Rag & Bone. The active designers were from Nike. The handbag designers were from Coach and Mulberry. So there was just a really talented team there. Um, And I think everyone kind of just pulled together to, like, make this product that had a sharp price tag, but mm-hmm. was just as soft and comfortable and innovative mm-hmm. and fashion forward as any other brand. Yeah. And I think that's like, you know, if you are a good designer, you can design anywhere with any budget. Exactly. And I think that that's something like, I think if you can design at a lower price point market or like a, you know, bargain or discount and I think you can make people feel great about like what they're wearing and you Such can design really interesting thing. Like that's a skill. And that Absolutely. is like, you have like all these constrictions on you and there's lots of times you probably would love to make it on the next level. But yeah. I think there's something great about great it says stuff. It, like exercise is a different part of your brain yeah. when you have some more restrictions or parameters around mm-hmm. what you're designing. And you're absolutely right. I mean, look at Target right now. Like, yeah. Tar- <laughs> I like Target is such an interesting and cool company. And I think they make such great products. And I think they're really like ahead of the curve and just kind of see things in a different way. Absolutely. Yeah, that's... I know it's really cool. I've I've like spent some time working for Kmart, so yeah, totally exactly. Understand. And how often now? Like I feel like the fact that a high low mix is such yeah. an accessible and almost and like easily attainable thing. Totally. If you're wearing an awesome outfit from Target and someone compliments you, mm-hmm. the first words out of your mouth are, "Oh my gosh, thank you! I got it at Target." No, totally. <laughs> like, yeah, you're proud. To- and I think it's yeah. I think it's like. I feel like, you know, I understand that people like in the fashion industry don't like certain brands because their price point is so low, which means their labor is low. But I also do feel like when you look at the issue as a whole, it's like these products are low because they're meant for someone who still needs to buy shoes but can't afford. I mean, Old Navy flip-flops, we would buy them in the millions of units. So think yeah, about so the cost just, that you're getting yeah, on that. It's, it's sort of like, yeah. So yeah. it's a really interesting thing. And, you know, people have all different income levels and they still, like, want to dress and, like, look and a I've certain way. And I've been in those Old Navy factories. There were no labor conflicts that I saw. They were yeah. all the same factories that we use for other brands. Right. I know. It's actually funny. When I worked for Sears Kmart, we would make this awesome pant and we did it in a Levi's factory. Yeah. We even did it in like, we, it was a jean and we designed it in like, we had like a water-free denim, which is like, if you, if you know anything about jeans, 
to make a pair of jeans, you use a so lot of water. water. It's very wasteful. And we were working with Levi's in their factory in Mexico, and they were making this like waterless denim pants. So That's you're like, so cool. Innovation exists at every level. This it is does. Great. It really does. That's awesome. Yeah. So again, okay. So at this time you're at Old Navy. Is this when you're starting to like think of launching? Yeah. So I was there for two years and mm-hmm. I was like, my contract was for two years. And mm-hmm. I kind of knew that, you know, by the end of 2016, I needed to move back east. I yeah. wanted to be back with my fiance mm-hmm. um, in the house that we had bought. And yeah. I really, my next step was to start my own line. Yeah. So I knew I didn't want to do more corporate. Um, mm-hmm. I was kind of, you know, I had two ends of the spectrum with the old Navy experience, the anthropology experience. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was very well-rounded. So mm-hmm. I started planting the seeds mm-hmm. um, to start Lonnie halfway through my second year. Mm-hmm. And um, what that looked like at first was kind of like a concept board. Mm -hmm. I just started pulling together images that spoke to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I did know that I wanted to do, at the time I called it shoes that feel like home. Mm. Um, Yeah, Mm -hmm. I I was traveling a lot. And then when I wasn't traveling, I was literally just like an urchin living in my mm-hmm. apartment and like never leaving the house. Mm-hmm. So I kind of was finding myself buying these like flat slide shoes that I could mm. like jump on an airplane, go to the office, go out yeah. with friends, uh-huh. walk around the house, like something easy. And I just thought that was a niche in the market that mm-hmm. was kind of missing as mm-hmm. well. Um, and I drew from my experience with the anthropology slippers mm-hmm. that you know, I knew I wanted something really cozy and really mm-hmm. luxe. I knew that I wanted to use genuine materials. Mm-hmm. Um, I was using so much vegan leather at Old Navy. And I, you know, that's literally petroleum that's pumped out of the earth. So <laughs> <laughs> I am like pro leather. <laughs> and I just wanted to touch and feel genuine suede and leather again. Mm-hmm. So that was a big component. I'm such a sucker for embellishments, so I mm-hmm. knew that I wanted that I wanted to do um, something really beautiful and embellished. And I, there's nowhere in the world that does embellishment like India. So, were you like scared, or were you like, because I, you know, I love your brand today, and it looks so polished, and it Thank looks you. you look like a giant company, even though I know you're not. <laughs> but I think we were are. you, and especially working in, in a big corporate environment where you're lucky to have all these people around you helping you with everything, were you scared of like how you were going to figure it out? I I was, but I think I broke it down into so many small steps. That you could like see how it would work. That I could see it panning out. And I mean, it was, it was definitely scary. Um, the the scariest parts were not getting the samples made. Um, mm. That was easy to me because, yeah. you know, I get samples made every day in yeah. both of my jobs and communicating with the factories. Like, you, that's you second knew how to nature. That, I knew yeah. how to do that. And luckily, I had uh, two factories from the very beginning that were on board. Oh, that's great. And they weren't charging me for samples, which was oh amazing. God, I know. so nice. I've been really lucky in that way. Um, They knew a bit about my background. Mm -hmm. It actually, one of the factories I had worked with before, Mm -hmm. um, but the other factory was brand new, but they had seen my portfolio and my body of work and they felt confident in me. Right, because that can be also, I think people don't realize like, 
when factories decide to work with you, they're taking a gamble on you. You they might are. not you might not have a design background and might give them faulty things to make or like, you know, it's also then to go into production, you have to have the money up yeah. front and you have to figure out how you're going to sell it and all those things. Yeah. I, that was the scary part. Once yeah. I started figuring out, luckily I got them to accept pretty low orders mm-hmm. to begin with. I, I started my first line with an order of 400 shoes total. Mm-hmm. And that was across um, four different, five different styles. Okay. Yeah. And then different sizes within Different those. sizes and different mm-hmm. colors within those wow. as well. Um, but what I did to raise the capital was the mm. Kickstarter campaign. Oh, and I great. think that was the scariest part of all of this. <laughs> it's, it's definitely scary asking people for money. Yeah. Um, I've never done a Kickstarter campaign, but I really wanted to. And I made a whole campaign. And it's funny. I sh- showed it to my parents. And they're like, you're going to ask people for money? And I'm like, yes. And they're like. Just do it. They're like. And it was funny because now at the time they've like come around to it and everyone yeah. does it. But they're like, I don't know. And you ask people for money, your relationship changes with them. And I was just like, oh, but no. But you're giving them. The brilliant thing about Kickstarter, and uh-huh. it really is brilliant. And I felt very uneasy about it in the beginning. Like there mm-hmm. were times that I was like, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm just going to go to the bank and ask for a loan or I'm just going to you know, mm-hmm. find the wealthiest person in San Francisco that I can make friends with at the yeah. bar and ask them for money because that's a lot easier than uh-huh. doing this Kickstarter <laughs> campaign. But uh, it was the best thing that I had mm-hmm. ever decided to do because your friends and family, they want to support you. Yeah. And what better way than to have this platform mm-hmm. live for 30 days where they can contribute any amount of money, mm-hmm. no pressure, but... They get something in return. No, it's literally, they're investing in you and then they literally get your product. Exactly. So I did a pair of our babouche Mm -hmm. um, slipper Mm -hmm. for $100. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I got 100 people to invest. So I raised (gasps) $10,000. That's so exciting. And it was really exciting. It was so nerve wracking Mm because I had, by the time the campaign launched, I had already quit my job at Old Navy. I had already moved back east. Mm -hmm. And my husband and I decided to get married. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we actually got married like two days after the campaign. Whoa. Yeah. Like, like, all these things happening. And I know that while your campaign's running, that's like nerve wracking. Oh, it's so nerve wracking. Literally, you're on your phone and you're just refreshing, refreshing. And like every time you can see that someone backed your campaign, you like do a little dance, but Mm -hmm. then you're the needle's only moving halfway. Yeah. It, it's built on a model that if you don't raise yeah. all of the money, you don't get any of the money. I know. Money. So you're just like, we have to make it. But then I also think that's like a great mentality because people are like, okay, like let exactly. me come out and support. Exactly. Exactly. So it was it was a very interesting. That was so outside of my comfort zone. Yeah. But I'm so glad that I did yeah, it. And that's, and that's great to raise $10,000. Thank you. That's that like good. so exciting. So then you go through production. You make your first round. Yes. I had my first order and it was supposed to be for holiday 2016. Mm-hmm. So the I had already technically placed my order yeah before the kickstarter campaign launched which again was a ballsy move yeah but i i kind of had to do that and we launched with an initial collection of shearling slippers Mm -hmm. and cozy slippers 
um, and a few like embellished flats. And the intent was for them to be holiday. Mm -hmm. But hiccup, production hiccup number one is (laughs) I didn't get any of those shearling styles until March. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I know. And that's again, it's your first time working with them on your own where it's not a huge order from this big company that has a relationship with them. And luckily, I... When I first started the company and I did have samples and I shot a lookbook, I thought I was going to wholesale and I thought that Mm -hmm. I was going to um, get these products in stores and Mm -hmm. I thought I was going to get orders. So I would come home from my job at Anthro, sorry, my job at Old Navy, Mm -hmm. and I'd come home at night and I would be like, okay, tonight I'm going to email 100 boutiques. Ah. And I did that for like... Two months. That's crazy. I've done that too, but it, I'm like, I'll do 30 boutiques tonight. <laughs> yeah, and even no. then I'm like, did I spell something right? Like, yeah. I'm just like, so And then tired. you're constantly changing. I think yeah. I emailed the same boutique a million times. And I probably got out of like a hundred emails, I'd get like yeah. five responses. Five responses, which then don't even like end up leading exactly. to sales. Exactly. Like, like four of them are like hard passes. Yeah. And one of them is like, maybe. <laughs> totally. So... I kind of, when I was like falling short there Mm -hmm. and I had had my orders placed, but then I was launching Kickstarter Mm -hmm. and I did have my website live. I, at some point I said to myself, I was like, you know what? Like this is going to be a direct to consumer business. If I can, if I can create an compelling Instagram, mm-hmm. if I can get some great PR and marketing, mm-hmm. people are going to come directly to my website. Yeah, totally. Like, I don't need the boutique. And what was happening is my cost would have to be... You would my change retail, your pricing Exactly. Structure. My retail prices would have to be double what they were just to take into account the third party. Yeah. So I kind of shifted pretty early on. Um, so luckily... Since my production was late, I wasn't, you know, no one had an order, yeah. so it was fine. I was able <laughs> and to... And your ho- friends and family are like, okay, yeah, like, yeah. Totally understand. Yeah, I had to hold on to those until mm-hmm. the following holiday. Right. Um, which wasn't too bad, but mm-hmm. our first big break that we got was um, when I was emailing boutiques, I emailed um, Catbird in New York. Ah, I love them. Love Catbird. Mm-hmm. Have so much love for those ladies. Thank you, Catbird. So <laughs> they were like, um, you know, Lee Pelsner, one of the co-founders, reached out to me when she got my lookbook, and she was like, "Listen, like, we're not in the shoe business. Right. We're not going to carry shoes. They're like shoes. a jewelry business. Well, at the time, they were doing lounge. Like, oh, okay, okay. So okay, I, right. I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna. And thank goodness I did reach out to uh-huh. them because she emailed me and had loved the lookbook but mm-hmm. passed. And I said to her, like, listen, I'd love to keep in touch. Mm-hmm. Um, we ended up setting up a meeting when I got back to the East Coast. She had me to their studio, and um, I ended up sending them a few samples, mm-hmm. which they used to style a few oh. lookbooks. So our embellished slide, which is still our most popular style today, uh-huh. they ended up posting the embellished slide with a little blurb about Lonnie. Oh. They styled it with their dewdrop anklet, uh-huh. and I sold out overnight. That's so great. Yeah, I mean... I only had 50 pairs on order. But still, like... <laughs> but for, I sold through overnight, literally. That's amazing. And t- they were going all over the world. Like, their reach is so far. We had orders going to, like, Abu Dhabi and Australia. It was just amazing. So 
they kind of continued to promote the brand for a little bit and it was right around holiday time in 2016 so that was huge so I decided to place a reorder on Uh the embellished slide and I ran a wait list Mm -hmm. and during the time I had that wait list open we got 400 entries for dude that is so (laughs) exciting because I think you know, with my own business, I've never seen that kind of success. But it's so exciting to hear that, like, that can happen. And it that, came like, from, like, a, like, women helping women partnership. Yeah, like, it was so amazing. Like them, like, just posting and, that. Yeah, and they didn't owe me anything. You uh-huh. know, they were just doing this out of the kindness of their own heart. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think they genuinely liked the product. But, yeah. I mean, they and their posts were so sweet. Like, they were, you know... A, blurb about Lonnie about so how we cool. partner with female founded factories and how they're a female founded brand like oh, that's so cool. it was so incredible so you know we didn't do any paid PR or marketing mm-hmm. during year one but mm-hmm. we did do a lot of partnerships that were like that that's great that you, you found like helpful. partnerships where it really made sense exactly. like the brands were like it made sense like their products and your products exactly so that was great um and then we ended up doing a collaboration with Anthropology, Lonnie so and Anthropology, cool. um, for holiday 2017. So nice. that was another big partnership we did. Um, and that must have been really cool because you're like, that I was know so this great. brand. Exactly. It's great to see like your own product there. Yeah, and it was incredible. I ended up um, traveling to India while I was designing the capsule for anthropology. So just to be in the factory, Mm -hmm. you know, I designed the first collection remotely Mm -hmm. because I was living in San Francisco at the time. I just like couldn't get the funds together to make a trip. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you could really see it in the product. Like Mm -hmm. the collections that I design when I'm overseas and in the factories are so much more compelling Mm -hmm. than when you're designing remotely. So I really felt so good about the anthropology collaboration like it was a true partnership between the artisans the factories oh, that's so cool anthro and myself and nice really and um i feel like you work with really great factories that you said they're female owned and yeah tell us more about so two of them now are female owned mm-hmm. the other ones are family owned oh cool um and they're kind of spread throughout india but they're mm-hmm. all smaller operations mm-hmm. um And they're just, they're incredible. I mean, Mm -hmm. my partnerships with them are like so valuable. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have a brand without them. Mm -hmm. Um, I also have two agents that are located in Delhi and they're basically like my eyes and ears on the ground there. Mm -hmm. And they are wildly helpful Mm -hmm. and indispensable. Yeah. And for those who kind of don't understand what agents are, they're sort of, you know, companies within the country or sometimes they're, they oversee different countries but they you're basically showing them what you want to do and they're finding a factory that's like the best fit for what you're trying to achieve Mm -hmm. and they kind of are the liaisons between myself and the factories they manage all of our production Mm -hmm. all of the logistics all of the shipping Mm -hmm. um I do have a shipping agent here who is also a godsend if you're Mm -hmm. importing anything from overseas do not use FedEx for your bulk (laughs) shipments, get yourself a shipping agent. I will share mine with anyone if you email me. (laughs) Sweet. That sounds good. Yeah. Um, Cool. So where is the brand at today? And like, what's 
going on or new things or so we're kind of um we're adding some new styles uh-huh. in. we are launching a wedge sandal Ooh, that's so in exciting. just a few weeks it's supposed to be here at the end of the month and uh-huh. I'm really excited about that because I'm eight months pregnant uh-huh. and I can't wear flats anymore right <laughs> I just need a little bit of height so okay. I don't feel like a Teletubby <laughs> <laughs> So I made this wedge for myself. But nice. I, I'm really hoping. I feel like that invention comes out of necessity. Exactly. Necessity, something invention. And you know, like the retail market would have told me to have this wedge ready in February mm-hmm. instead of August. Mm-hmm. But I'm just whatever. That's gonna enough. play by my own rules <laughs> and drop it in August and see what happens. Nice. Um, besides that, we're gearing up for another holiday collection, which is going to be really special. Okay. Um, we'll definitely have links to that on our absolutely website <laughs> and trying to do other partnerships. Um, the other thing that we did invest in year two mm-hmm. was a um, PR. Uh, showroom and relationship. Oh, cool. So we have an amazing press office that's in New York where all of our samples are held. And that's been like a very viable step for us because since we aren't in boutiques, we're kind of missing out on a lot of that exposure that you get from being, um, you know, stocked in stores. So my trade-off for that was Was to to do that. Hire a super badass PR (laughs) team. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. And how you, like, since, you know, you have so much experience, but you're also new to running your own business, you, you just sort of saw that you, like, had to have that? Um, this particular team, they're mega, mega productions. Mm-hmm. Um, they're amazing. They reached out to me as soon as I launched, and I just ah. wasn't ready. Uh-huh. I just could not afford it. Yeah. But we just kept talking mm-hmm. throughout my whole first year and I kind of made it a goal for a year two to strike up this relationship. Great. So. And it's been fruitful? It has been, yeah. That's great. Yeah. I've, I noticed you have some really great press coverage. Thank so you. That's really exciting. Yeah. So again, is it just you or do you have other business partners? So it's just me mm-hmm. business-wise. Um, again, I usually say we because it's not just me. I have, yeah. you know, the the agents and partners Mm -hmm. in India. I have the artisans in India, my Mm -hmm. factories. Um, and you know, the PR team, even like there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of people who are making it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's an uncomfortable thing. I'm always like, do I, do I state this statement with an I or a we or a us? (laughs) I'm the same way where I never know. And I do, I do manufacturing both in the U S and in China. So I feel like, and it, it, you know, the small companies I work with in China, yeah, I, it's super helpful. And, you know, I use them for my silk scarves and it's like, you know, silk is made in China. Yeah. So I'm going to like work with like where the silk is exactly. made and the digital printers there. Exactly. Um, but yeah, they've, they do a great job interpreting my artwork. So yeah, I'm that's incredible. Like, and those are the most valuable relationships you have. And I, that's my advice to like anyone that is starting out a line. Like you really have to find your manufacturing sources first. Yeah. Because it you can think that you're going to do, you know, a bikini line and try to make it in the USA, but like yeah. where's the lycra gonna come from? And yeah, where totally. are you gonna get your prints made? And maybe you can do it in the US, but you have to find the best factory. And I really think, you know, your factory dictates so much of their capabilities and mm-hmm. to be able to cater your designs to what your factory is good at. You just save yourself 
a lot of headaches. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, this has been super awesome. I think I just have like one last question. Sure. Um, if you have like any advice for someone who's either starting a business or wants to jump into a creative project or anything that you've kind of learned along the way that you want to like impart or ideas you want to share. Sure. So besides the manufacturing piece, because I think that's really big, if it's something um, that's more conceptual, Mm -hmm. I think just start putting ideas down. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, it's images. I just pull images together and kind of see what I'm drawn to. And when I put them on a big board, I can see a theme Mm -hmm. and kind of identify that theme. And Mm -hmm. I let that theme kind of guide me into what's next. So Definitely start small, mm-hmm. break your process down into pieces. When mm-hmm. you look at launching a brand as a whole, it's like, oh my gosh, I have to do. Yeah, it's, re- it's really a lot. And yeah. I, I personally think it's both exhilarating and then it can also just feel, it can feel overwhelming. Absolutely. There's so, much, so many parts of it. And I would say like, I'm a creative person, so I'm not one to write things down. Mm. I would say scrap the business plan unless you love writing business plans, <laughs> then start with your business plan. Yeah. But you know, you need to break it down into parts that are manageable and you need to focus on what you love or else you're not going to dedicate time to it. Yeah. No, that's, that's some really great advice. And I think there's, yeah, there's something to be said for having those like three-year, five-year plans, but then there's something to be like, let's do this. If it works, we'll do that. If it doesn't work, we're going to pivot and we're going to do that. Like you can have it in your head. I'm actually, um, I just got accepted to a little business plan workshop, which I'm really excited about because, you know, now I'm in year two, I'm approaching year three, Uh like I really should have a business plan by Uh now. But again, it wasn't my first step and I don't think it really needs to be your first step unless you enjoy writing them and it's going to help to organize your mind and your thoughts and your strategy, then great, but yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much. It's been a great conversation. I'm super inspired and like I love everything you've said. Thank you. Thanks so much. (laughs) I hope you are inspired after hearing that story. For more extras on this and other episodes, check out www.superendura.com. We would love if you could subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you do your podcast listening, and please give us a rating and review. Be sure to check out our Instagram, where we are always posting new content about brands we love and our own brand. We also love hearing from you, so please feel free to email us at info at This episode was recorded and produced by Gabrielle Mandel. Theme music by Kevin Bendis. Kevin Bendis is also our audio engineer and sound mixer. We will see you back here next week where we sit down with another creative entrepreneur and listen to their journey and what they have learned.